0: You are listening to the Bikepacking Buds podcast. Bikepacking Buds aims to connect and build a community of bikepackers throughout the UK. This podcast will share tips and stories of epic and everyday adventures. Hosted by Kat Green and me, Saoirse Potty. In this episode, I had an amazing time speaking to David Charles. David is one of the organizers of Thighs of Steel, which aim to raise money for refugee projects through cycling adventures. We talk about some of the amazing things Thighs of Steel have achieved, how David got involved, and how you can get involved and support their work too. David, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. For the listeners that aren't familiar with Thighs of Steel, could you just explain what the organisation is and how it first came about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, First of all, thanks for having us on. Um, I say us, I mean, it's just (laughs) me here, (laughs) but it feels like I'm speaking for, you know, our our community of now nearly 500 cyclists. Um, So yeah, Thighs of Steel are a non-profit who, like you say, organise fundraising bike adventures in support of refugees. And every year since 2016, we've put on a big sort of epic ride. And the first four years of that, so until the pandemic hit, we cycled from London to Athens in a massive relay where sort of 80 or 90 cyclists would join us for a week um, so twelve cyclists on each week, roughly, and gradually over the course of six, seven, or eight, or nine weeks, we'd make our way from London to Athens, through, you know, France, Italy, over the Alps. Um, one year we we took a we took a massive diversion round uh, the Pyrenees, which was stunning, um, climbing over the same sort of passes as. Um, uh the big tour uh the tour de france i believe it's called um uh, (laughs) but sort of doing it in like 40 degree heat and stuff um and yeah we've gone we've gone out east albania is always popular because nobody ever cycles there and uh, really really gets people really gets people excited about riding um and each of these cyclists um fundraisers Uh, we ask for a minimum of 500 pounds fundraising and that goes to um a charity called mass action who and they redistribute the money to the small grassroots organizations that uh, can't necessarily access funding from other places so it's not your your big red cross kind of Organisations that we support—it's the the small ones, usually volunteer-run, very often refugee-led uh, projects that are just really doing good work on the ground. Um, so, one of the um, one of our main organisations that we've funded over the years is an organisation called CORA, and they're based in Athens, and it's a, a community cafe is started as and has grown to include legal support and a free shop where people can come in and um choose sort of the clothes or toilet products or or whatever it is in a in a dignified manner rather than sort of forming a line outside a a trailer or a you know um uh, which can be quite dehumanizing so our our, our fundraising focuses on um, projects that offer a, a a solidarity and a and a sort of uh, recognizing that um, these people are are just people like the rest of us basically and want to be treated <laughs> well and uh, and um, with dignity um so that's basically what we do then obviously there was the pandemic and um, that that shook us all up a bit and so we had to cancel our ride in 2020 and instead we collaborated with Choose Love um, to put on a uh, we we were aiming to to cycle around the world um, by getting people to commit a certain number of miles of of um, cycling or walking and we ended up going around I think two and a half times the distance of of the circumference of the earth and raising over a Uh, 130,000 pounds for, for these organizations that were really hit obviously during the pandemic um and then last year we we got out of our houses and did something in the uk because foreign travel was was too too logistically complicated and dangerous potentially so we organized a bit of a ridiculous challenge where um i think it was in the end Around 60 or 70 people joined the ride in various points, which was to cycle the world's largest GPS artwork across the south coast of the UK, spelling out the words refugees welcome, and that raised Well, it made a hell of a lot of noise, actually. Um, (laughs) We we ended up on BBC and Sky and um, Radio New Zealand, particularly proud of. Wow. Um, And yeah, raised uh, another 80 grand or so for for these projects. Um, And this year we're going back to Athens. So we are going to start in Glasgow um, because there's been a lot more interest in the last few years. Um, for people to have adventures in the UK and to avoid flying which I think is a really positive move. So our first week is from Glasgow to Bristol so through Dumfries and Galloway and the Lake District and the whole of Shropshire (laughs) Um, so that's going to be nice and bumpy Uh, and yeah and then we continue on from Bristol to Paris and through France, Paris to Lyon along the canals and through the Beaujolais country. And then over the Alps and over the Dolomites and then all the way down the Adriatic coast through Croatia and Albania and Montenegro and, and then uh, a sharp left to, through North Macedonia as well. And then down south through Greece to Athens. So that's, that's this year's adventure.
0: That is absolutely incredible. Like listing off all those different achievements you've done and all the amount of money that's come through and raised for organisations that you can see directly where that money is going is mind-blowing. How did it get started? Where was the like the, the route?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I just realised I was talking on and on and on and on there because there's just so much that our cyclists have done over the years. It's
0: crazy. It's um, so incredible. <laughs>
1: um, I'm... I'm really lucky to be involved in it Um, and it all began back in 2016 um, when our founder the, the people who founded it were volunteering in Greece and obviously volunteering in in a refugee community like Cora there's a huge amount of work and there's there's not necessarily access to funding for these grassroots organizations so Harry um, and Ollie and Annie, um, who are the women who founded Pies of Steel, were essentially trying to come up with an idea that could use their skills and what they love doing to raise money for Cora for and other projects. And... Basically, they just came up with a bike ride. <laughs> um, so they essentially just invited all their mates on a on a. I think it was six weeks the first one from from London to Athens, and it was absolute chaos <laughs> um, because of, although they would sort of all loved cycling and you know all loved camping and they got a van and stuff like that and um, sort of fitted it out, they there was none of the sort of structure that 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 we have now, none of the experience of what it means to cycle, um, you know, 4,000, 5,000 kilometers over the course of six to eight weeks. Um, And and what it means to, you know, cycle through incredible heat, through foreign countries, to organize 80 people, camping and all of this stuff. So it was was a bit of a free-for-all by all, all accounts. But the main thing was it was a triumph. Um, I think it raised about a hundred thousand pounds and 60 um, odd people had the best week of their lives <laughs> um, and they got to Athens safely um, and as a result of that it meant that Cora could um, had secured funding for um, to, to pay for their buildings and all the work that they do, all the food, um, the lawyers and such like who helped with the legal support. Um, I think it paid for their entire operations for more than a year. Um, so it was had a huge impact. And so they just sort of, Annie and, and Ollie and Harry, sat down at the end of that. And, <laughs> and By their account, they sort of said, well, that was fun, we're never doing that again. <laughs> um, and then sort of a, a month or so passes, and, and the itch sort of came back, and they were like, right yeah maybe we could do that again um and that's that's the point at which i heard about it first because uh harry was looking for better routes through europe than Mm -hmm. than they'd found um and i had recently come back from a bike ride from london to vienna um i was speaking to various refugee organizations along the way and i think that's how harry heard about my trip um and yeah, so since then I, I joined the ride in 2018 and then was a, a core team member for 2019 and then now here I am talking to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I read somewhere oh, it's up to half a million pounds that you really yeah. in total and it's not you know it's not some big corporation it just started with you know three girls that woke up one day and thought I'm going to go on this mad adventure. I'm going to get my friends involved. I'm going to raise money for people that weren't born into the same privilege that we've been. And we're going to do good things to help people. Um, It's just a really inspiring achievement for you all as a team. What made you want to dedicate your time to to helping and to to getting involved? Because it is, they're quite long stints. You know, you're going for a month or six weeks if you're in the core team.
1: I, I, I should be up front. <laughs> I don't particularly like cycling <laughs> um, which sounds ridiculous what what I love I you know I don't particularly enjoy like the the turning of the pedals around the effort that it takes and so on what I love about cycling is the places that it means that I can go under my own power the food that I can eat and above all with Thighs of Steel it's the people that yeah. um that come on the ride they it's it's just such a great community of, of people with this can do positivity um, and obviously not all the time because cycling's miserable so it's <laughs> it's really hard work and punctures happen and thunderstorms happen and you know occasionally people might fall off or or get heat stroke as I did one year and that wasn't pleasant at all or sometimes all three at the same time (laughs) um but so yeah for me what what keeps me coming back and what what I'm so passionate about is the community and um we're I I think we're we are kind of special in a way because of the way that we started you know like you said three women um, setting up the organisation and just inviting their friends. So um, we are, um, I like to think anyway, a lot more, more inclusive than um, a lot of sort of other organisations that might organise big bike adventures, basically. we're As um, one of our core team this year described it, is we're, we're sort of accessible way into epic bike trips particularly abroad
0: that is um, an amazing tagline yeah I yeah it that. is isn't it <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I was I was, um, I was like oh yeah we are because <laughs> um you know like a, a lot of us don't look like cyclists particularly mm-hmm. um I I used to famously hate lycra and um all of my the way I got into cycling was um essentially because i was too lazy to walk i I wanted to go around the coast of britain um uh, because i read about a guy who had walked it in and it had taken him nine months and i I just thought oh god i really want to see the rest of britain but i can't be bothered to do it do it for nine months (laughs) um so i so i yeah i bought a 50 quid bike from a police auction had six gears or something and um and then just set off one day and um, obviously within about five days the bike had completely broken apart <laughs> <laughs> but by that point I was hooked you know I was I, I, you know I didn't want to stop cycling I'd only seen Norfolk so I knew there was probably you know a lot more out there <laughs> um that was that was how I got started and and that's what I want to bring to other people's lives Um, so we get a lot of people who for whom this is their first long bike trip this is this might be their first bike trip abroad this this might be their first time cycling with other people this might be you know um their first time fundraising or getting involved in refugee solidarity work Um, and and yeah i i also feel a, a bit strange in a way um being being the spokesperson um for thighs of steel because we are majority female as well um which i think is worth saying um which isn't always the case with cycle clubs um but increasingly the case um, Mm. it's very good to see so yeah i I feel like we're special we're we're a gateway drug to um,
0: (laughs) the great things listening to it it just sounds so wholesome because you're not only the people that are coming on the trips or enhancing their lives and taking on these adventures and facilitating that but also as a byproduct of it raising this incredible sums of money which is then going to charities that are benefiting other people in different parts of the world where you're going to it's just great things creating great things it's like positive (laughs) feedback loop that's that's wonderful
1: yeah I, i i hope so and um the the number of sort of people who stay within the the thighs community seems to sort of back up that that they like both aspects of it you know both the the sort of community cycling side and also they have this continuing um drive to to try and do something to support people in in more difficult circumstances, people on the move in the UK and in Greece. Yeah. Um, and obviously that is getting larger and larger, you know, it seems with with every passing year. Um, and it's very easy to feel powerless when you read the news or or whatever about um, refugees and, or more people displaced from their homes because of war or conflict or persecution or climate change whatever it is and um, it's easy to feel powerless so it's it's nice to give people something to focus on and then to see those results in projects like Cora who you know during the pandemic they were they couldn't keep their cafe open so they very quickly switched to Uh, essentially making meals and becoming a takeaway delivery service (laughs) Um, so that they get on their bikes their volunteers would all get on their bikes and cycle around Athens delivering um, delicious nutritious food to families and and people or refugees around around Athens Um, and now they're back open again and yeah providing this this warm, welcoming environment for people who have been flung into situations that no one would ever choose in a potentially hostile environment?
0: I think um, it's amazing, one, how adaptable they are, but second, just bringing back to that point what you were saying about it's very easy to to be passive um, and to see things and be like, oh, that feel helpless and this sense of you know not not being able to do something and by getting involved you're showing people and just demonstrating so clearly that every person has a voice and every person you can make a difference and you can do something whether it's big or small there's we all have an impact and you can make that a positive impact if you if you want to yeah it's really really empowering
1: yeah absolutely and we so the the ride finishes in in Athens and and the people who are on that that leg of the week uh, that leg of the week. I don't know, <laughs> we
0: um,
1: That leg of the tour. Um, we all go down to Cora and sort of see what they're doing. Um, and quite a few of our cyclists in the past have gone on from Thighs and volunteered at Cora at in, in Athens as well. And we we have a lot of connections with organizations in the UK as well. So it's um yeah, people do have this hunger to to make the connection between what they're doing and what the what the results of what they're doing are, um, because it does change lives. You know, not not necessarily in a in a big way all the time. Sometimes in a big way, if if you know, some legal advice means that a family gets to stay together. Um, in Athens or, or manages to be reunited in Germany or something, um, then that is a big way. But um, sometimes it's just changing lives in a small way, um, you know, by sharing a hot meal with some people and making some new friends and, or, or just having someone who can speak your language to, to be able to translate, you know, the baffling Greek bureaucracy or whatever it is.
0: I think I read on the website the reason why they choose to give the money to the charities that they do is because often those charities are underfunded because they don't um, necessarily have a thing where you can visually see the massive impact and it's this those small things that need done are underfunded like you were saying about the hot meal and yeah I don't know what I'm going here but
1: <laughs> yeah no you're absolutely right we. We like to say that we fund the boring things as well. So it's not very sexy or PR friendly to say, we pay for the water bills, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you can't make a kitchen without paying the water bills. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so that's what we do. And, you know, the, there are obviously lots of organisations that do fund the sexy things, uh, particularly things for for children always get a really good press because you can you know you can put up a picture of a child with a teddy bear or something and say look at that isn't that great but um but actually what organizations on the ground generally need more of is some money to pay for petrol for their van that they use to take school books around to the various camps around Athens for example but. Paying for petrol doesn't yeah. just doesn't appeal very much yeah. to, um, to to funders,
0: yeah.
1: um, but it's
0: crucial. Yeah, it was and... totally logical and makes sense. And um, I wanted to speak a little bit about you. Uh, so I asked you to send some pictures of your happiest moment since getting involved with Dyes of Steel, and my favorite one. You've sent a few across. My favorite one is this one of you. You're standing on the beach, surrounded by a couple of other people who are looking at you with admiration or something like that. <laughs> uh, you're wearing a Pfizer steel cycling cap, and you're blowing into, I think, the bugle. <laughs> Can you explain what's happening here?
1: Oh, yeah, the bugle. I've got it right here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was at the end of our adventure last year, which was this world record attempt to create the largest gps artwork by bicycle and that was a 2208 kilometer ride from cornwall to kent and we finished in dover um which uh yeah finished finished the e which was a 140 kilometer day day ride um uh yeah so that's why everyone looks so bronzed and and happy (laughs) because we've just finished um and um when i'll just explain the story of the bugle real quick please <laughs> do the um so sort of when lockdown ended in 2020 and it was that sort of hot summer and we, we could all sort of venture outside again i decided to i decided to start going around britain again um, but this time in shorter stages because the, the first time i cycled around britain was absolutely ridiculous i i was I was pretty terrified that I wouldn't make it the whole way around. (laughs) Um, So I did it as quickly as I possibly could. (laughs)
0: That's one um, way.
1: (laughs) I obviously have strong memories from that first ride, but um, I'm aware that the more time you spend in a place, the more you get from a place. And so I I wanted to do it again more slowly and, you know, 11 years wiser, I like to say. But (laughs) um, So the Bugle was something that came out of, One of the other women in that photograph, actually, Um, I stayed at her, I rode with her for a little while down in Hastings. One night we stayed at her house and her friend was having a 30th birthday party. And um, (laughs) what he wanted to do for his birthday was to have uh, a a funeral, basically. Um, so he it was his symbolic death of um, his twenties and into a new phase of life. So his friends were all sort of theatrical types. Um, organized this 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 huge funeral ceremony in the woods uh, down by a stream <laughs> in Hastings. And um, my friend in the photograph dressed up as um, his spirit animal. <laughs> who was a badger and, um, one of the the theater people that had sort of stitched together this incredible badger costume and, um, someone else dressed up as a vicar and and had a sort of microphone thing that made his voice sound really spooky and, (laughs) um, other people were sort of singing and all of this stuff. And I, I was just cycling through, so I didn't have any costumes or anything on me. So we went around the, um, the junk shops of Hastings, which are incredible. And, um, came across this bugle and so my friend was like yes that's it you can bugle him to like there was this long procession that we went on with torches and things and and so I was then leading the procession to his graveyard um playing the bugle <laughs> <laughs> which by the way I could not play
0: <laughs> can you say it now uh, uh well kind of
1: um is that a request?
0: <laughs> yeah go on then. We'll see it to the end. The,
1: all right the, the one thing about the bugle is um, you can't play it whilst laughing so yeah, you've
0: got to be very <laughs> and, I, and
1: I'm usually laughing <laughs> because it's such a ridiculous instrument. So yeah so that's how I got the bugle and since then I've taken it on all my tours so including this this world record attempt with tyres of steel last year I took the bugle along and over the course of that I did actually get much better at playing the
0: bugle. So it's an essential piece of your bikepacking equipment then? It where, is
1: now yeah uh, yeah. Where,
0: does it, where do you fit it? We've got like a little bugle holder?
1: <laughs> I don't but um, if any of your listeners want to <laughs> have
0: any suggestions yeah um, <laughs> someone could make uh, something creative. And um, could you tell just a little bit more about that challenge and what was what was involved. I'm assuming because obviously you're saying they're like refugees. Welcome the last letter was an E. You had to do 150k. You must have to go back on yourself quite a lot to oh. do the letters as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did it. I um, so me and another of the Thighs of Steel crew, Georgie Cottle, um, we did the whole thing. Took it in turns a little bit, um, but we did the whole thing together yeah it was tough particularly in, um, in dart, around dartmoor which is obviously really hilly and cornwall where where you have like the r goes in and then you come straight back out again.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> um, but the, the real the real good one was the E, the sec- the, the second letter, so the first E, yeah. which was round Dartmoor. So we, we just had these nightmarish visions of just going past the same, like, hill <laughs> <laughs> multiple times because we had to do it sort of once on the way out and then on the E and then back again and then... With the F as well, that sort of went past a couple of the same places that we'd been like two days before. (laughs) Yeah. The uh, the only time it worked in our favour was with the G, which uh, so we had a, a circular route for one of the days, which was around Glastonbury, which is as well on the Somerset levels is completely flat. So it was just a 100k just day ride we could leave all our bags and everything because this was unsupported at that stage um we could leave all our bags at our hosts and and just whip round it was really nice um and then we then we had tea with the uh or, or guinness with uh the mayor of uh, glastonbury oh,
0: which is very yeah. nice <laughs> were you bringing your camping equipment with you the whole time then or
1: yeah so so me and georgie and a few other people did refugees as an unsupported ride okay. and then for welcome that was when we uh, got the van out and invited a load more people to come and join us basically so that was where the where the numbers came in and, and that just made it a really lovely community event and everyone could get involved and say they were part of a world record attempt <laughs>
0: such a creative way especially you know because that was that time whenever we were still kind of like limited about international travel and stuff who, who planned all the routes because that must have taken a lot of
1: time <laughs> yeah so Georgie did the the vast majority of the route planning um but I'll, I'll never forget the um uh, the sort of night before we left to to go and start the R. I was going through the route sort of like are you sure, we have to go over this hill, <laughs> or, like, just making the R a little bit smaller and things like that.
0: Uh, um,
1: it, it made for some odd road choices, definitely. Yeah. Are you
0: are you in the Guinness book then?
1: Uh, so we're not because there's so much it's
0: evidence definitely. that
1: you've got to collect yeah. um, that I haven't finished collecting it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's all it's all there. I've, I've basically. What they, one of the things they ask for is for, I think it's 10 minutes of footage
0: mm-hmm. a
1: day, which is a lot of filming, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which we didn't do <laughs> because we're on a bike ride. <laughs> and they also asked for them to be in sort of recognisable landmark things. But if you're cycling, refugees welcome you. Most of the time you're just, well, this is a hedge you're not you're not detouring to go to land's end or something so um so that's the main job I've got left to do on that is create this sort of eight hour long video for them Um, oh my
0: god absolutely crazy
1: but yeah obviously with the planning for our our primary aim this year is to um, raise money and cycle to Athens obviously yeah, yeah um making a video for the Guinness World Record people isn't top of my list Um, I think the
0: main thing is that is like what you just mentioned and really you know you've done it so
1: yeah well interestingly it it did its job for for us um this I mean this is a tip that any of your listeners can take home with them if you say you're going to break a world record and then you go out and make a jolly good try at it yeah you'll get a lot of press (laughs) and and so it doesn't no one's no one from the BBC is phoning us up being like uh I see you still haven't uh made it into the Guinness World World Record book um we're gonna have to take down that (laughs) article and issue a new one saying you're all a bunch of charlatans (laughs) so if what you're trying to do is raise awareness of something which is what we were trying to do then don't, don't bother with the evidence that's just a sort of vanity thing <laughs> at the end because we sort of want a certificate to you know say say that yeah, we've done a officially thing amazing, but, um, yeah <laughs> yeah mind you I don't want to make Guinness angry either we are going to do it guys we are going to do it <laughs> um, it's the first time Thighs of Steel have really had a sort of big PR thing happen um we usually go totally under the radar <laughs>
0: I think it's quite amazing, really. Um, just taking it back to the start of the interview and the start of Guys of Steel. From your core team, you're you know you're not just cyclists; you're also publicising media, you know, organising. There's so many elements to that. It's like mm. it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. And yeah. learning that throughout the process of the the organisation, yeah, is
1: yeah. I actually came on boards in order to do the comms stuff because I'm I'm also a writer um and that's something I, I really love doing. But we we still don't have the the capacity really to to make as big a noise about what we're doing as certainly we think it it deserves. Yeah um and sort of based on the experiences of of what our community tell us it's it's just so much, isn't it? There's there's so many cool people doing cool stuff out there that it's hard to communicate what you're doing what alongside doing the actual organizing of the whole thing (laughs) which is obviously you know at a certain point becomes the most important thing so you're doing
0: it so well and it's so um I love the fact that every year you started off uh with this rally from scotland at athens and then obviously that wasn't made possible so you've completely adapted things and you've just been like cool we're going to roll with it and we're going to do this other really really creative idea to focus on what we can do rather than what we can't do
1: yeah yeah thanks for saying that it's um this is um one of the things that we say to all our core team members who by the way aren't highly qualified you know, cycle tour leaders, you know, with with I don't know, I don't know. Are there any qualifications <laughs> for cycle tour leaders? Probably not. But the, the main thing that we're looking for is that they have like a really strong, positive, optimistic, problem-solving mm-hmm. muscle.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, because so much stuff goes wrong on an eight-week tour. Yeah. And it's it's the core team who sort of set the tone for every week. So so problem solving, what I'm saying is problem solving is what we do. (laughs) So when the pandemic happened, obviously, we all shit the bed. But um, it it was quite natural for us to, to pick up and go, okay, what can we do with this? I really um,
0: like that concept, that for use of problem-solving muscle. It sounds like something that needs to be exercised, so that's good. When things go wrong, I'll be like, cool, I'm just exercising. my Problem-solving is making sure it's fit and strong. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what, what I love is that our core team, we essentially 90% recruit from within the, the community. So yeah. every ride that we do every year, we're we're trying to, equip people with the skills so that they could do what we're doing so we we encourage cyclists to to take the gps for a while and and lead you know lead the group on the route and um we encourage people when there is a puncture like we're there to help if they need help but we encourage people to fix it themselves it's not a sort of Leader client relationship on the ride. It really is just we're all doing this together. And it just so happens that the core team know a bit more about where we're going, or they know a bit more about where we keep the first aid stuff, or they know a bit more about the accommodation, or whatever it is. But we're really trying to equip people with the skills so that next year they could be part of the core team, or next year they could be helping us organize it, or next year they could set up their own mini thighs of steel and, and you know raise money for goodness like climate change or something i don't know
0: um just on that for the people that want to would like to get involved with the annual glads go to athens rally could you just give a bit more information on how it works like how the different stages works where people stay overnight, or how people sign up for it, how long they sign up for and daily distance yeah
1: yeah so first of all the website is thighsofsteel.com, thighsofsteel, the body part, .com. Um, There all the information there about signing up, and there are still a few spots left on some of the weeks. So check it out. It's going to be awesome. And the way it works is 12 cyclists come on each of the weeks. So say Glasgow to Bristol, there'll be 12 cyclists, and then there will be five people in the core team including me, hi, so if you find me really annoying, then avoid the first half of the ride. (laughs) Um, And basically we all meet up in Glasgow, have a dinner together, introduce each other, talk about how nervous we are and and how that's going. And then we cycle really far the next day in three groups of five people. So four people, who are the cyclists and then one core team person with the group at all times. So we set off in sort of, sort of 10 minute intervals or whatever, but we generally sort of see each other on the road at some point, but we try to cycle in small groups because that's faster and a bit more efficient with um, traffic and so on. Um, and then at some point we have lunch, <laughs> uh, which is usually leftovers from the dinner the night before premium and uh then we carry on cycling and get into camp which is uh wild camping uh, which is found by the the two people the two other core team people who are in the van that day so yeah quite a few things going on there basically it's supported so you won't be carrying your kit that's critical it's wild camping which is really fun um but also not necessarily luxury um, not much in the way of toilets or showers usually, but we always try to find um, a river or a lake or set up like a jerry can shower so you're not all grimy when you go to sleep. And because it's a community thing and because we the focus is on accessibility and because we wild camp for free, and you know because we do things like make masses of like risotto or something for our dinner, Um, and so that we have leftovers that's how we can keep it cheap so one week of the tour including two nights in a hostel or airbnb at the beginning and the end and the van and all the core team expenses and all of that stuff the food breakfast dinners um, all of that is 410 pounds and we also have some places for lower income humans um, at 250 pounds and that's real real um shoestring budget kind of stuff so don't expect a luxury holiday away <laughs>
0: um
1: expect an adventure and expect to contribute to the community basically um so that might be making porridge or in the morning or washing up after dinner or just generally being an awesome human being and just keeping the vibe going so that's how we roll And yeah, the the different weeks are different difficulties. So the first week that I mentioned from Glasgow to Bristol, there's one space left on that at the moment. And that's um, that's actually a bit more of a difficult week with, you know, some some hills and stuff in Shropshire, I mentioned. But then the second week, for example, Bristol to Paris is a bit shorter and you get a ferry ride in there as well. <laughs> so you have a bit of time for, to put your legs up. And I think we're staying in a cider farm as well at some oh, point. Wow. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit more chilled, but but none of our weeks are, are what you'd call easy. They'll be yeah. they'll be as challenging as you need them to be. And then the, the week that I really want to talk about, though, is the Dolomites week, which is the fifth week of the ride uh, from the 20th of August to the 27th of August. I haven't said anything about dates it's uh, yeah july to september is when we're doing it for some mysterious reason we've got quite a few spaces left on the dolomites week which you were saying before the yeah. show it it's the most beautiful week of the entire ride it'll be tough but it'll be worth it Absolutely. Um, so if any of your listeners are, are, are thinking of coming on then take a serious look at the dolomites <laughs>
0: And what kind of distances are you doing each day or how many hours are you cycling? Or
1: So we aim to get it all done in under eight hours. Okay. Um, so and that's the
0: lunch kind of break.
1: Yeah, including including all breaks. So we'll leave. We leave camp pretty early as it heats up, depending on the temperature. We might even be leaving at dawn which is a stunning way to start cycling like oh, yeah. um you know nothing like a uh, seeing the sunrise
0: imagine um, the sunrise and the dolomites
1: yeah yeah you got it, it. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah so in theory we're, we'd be aiming to get into camp by four or five p.m so there's plenty of time to to chill and you know sort out your bike and have dinner and everything So it it varies depending on the week. So I think the shorter weeks are about 90, 95 kilometres per day with, you know, some hills in there. Um, And then obviously you've got the Alps and the Dolomites, which are bigger distances. And the Alps in particular, they're mountains. Well, they're both mountains. (laughs) In a way, that's tough. But but equally, what goes up must come down, right? So... uh, the good, the, good, the good thing about the Alps and the Dolomites is there will be a day where you're just going downhill. It has to be experienced, I think, once in a cyclist's career.
0: So this year's tour starts in July, is that correct? Yes. And for those perhaps that can't make it this year, is there any other ways in which people can get involved and support all the great work that the Isles are doing?
1: Yeah, well, uh, you, I mean, you can donate money to our fundraiser. Um, the link is on thighsofsteel.com. And you can also follow us on Follow the Journey on our Instagram and Facebook, uh, which is Instagram's just thighs.of.steel. And the Facebook is just thighsofsteel. Um, and yeah, just say hi basically. Send us an email. Hello at thighsofsteel.com. As you may have worked out from this conversation, I love talking about ties uh, <laughs> <laughs> of steel and cycling and, and how wonderful everybody is. And, yeah, uh, and also if if you do want to support the ride and you happen to to live on the route, then maybe we could come by and stay in, in your garden or something. <laughs> yeah, easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because all, all the all the camping, as I mentioned, is wild camping. Mm-hmm. So so it's down to the van team on the day, pretty much to to go and um, knock on doors and ask for favours so if if you're a farmer in
0: Shropshire
1: (laughs) (laughs) drop us a line
0: (laughs) and David um, just lastly you touched a little bit about your own personal cycling experience as well where you bought the the 50 pound bike from the police auction and decided to go around the UK is there any piece of advice you'd give to someone who maybe would like to go on longer cycling adventures but is perhaps worried about the expense or that they don't have the right equipment or they might not be fit enough or those kind of feelings that you had before you Mm. took on that first initial big adventure
1: yeah I I knew nothing about bikes when I left. I knew nothing about bikes. The the very first bike trip that I did wasn't even on my own bike. I knew so little about bikes that the brakes didn't work. Um, (laughs) Luckily, I had some duct tape on me, which I'd always recommend you carry, so I could just tape the brakes up until they did work. (laughs) Um, So what, what I'd say is whatever it is that's stopping you I've probably done something more stupid <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that as a boast but it, it, it is that lo- that old line like if if I can do it then I'd, I'd really love to hear from people who have overcome whatever challenges are stopping them yeah. so for me a, a big challenge as well was fear so the the first so when I cycled around Britain which was two months I was camping the whole way in the the first probably three weeks, I was terrified that I was going to get wake up with a, the farmer pointing a shotgun at me or something. Absolutely ridiculous. But you know, we all have our, our fears and and things that stop us from going out the door. And that the other thing I'd say is the hard way is to do it on your own, um, which is what I did because I was I didn't know any cyclists even. And I was too embarrassed and didn't think I'd fit in with a cycle club but there are now many many more cycle clubs like you were saying before we hit record um, uh, women-led gravel clubs that are popping up left right and centre and nearby to me is the the New Forest Off-Road Club for example who go out and do adventures in the New Forest um, all led by women and non-binary folk and there are these Inclusive communities that you can join, those are the people who make you believe that it's possible for
0: you as well. I really, I really, really like that point. I think that's um, one of the things I noticed, and one of the reasons why we created bikepacking buds was because I thought about all these times I've gone on these awesome adventures with my friends. And I thought, actually, if I didn't have, I have two friends particularly I did a lot of cycling with, and I thought if they weren't in my life, I wouldn't have done any of those things because it seems like this bigger step to go out by yourself. And I think that would have intimidated me a bit too much. And that's why the point of backpacking Buds is that people open up their trips to others. So it's less intimidating. You can build that kind of community and you've got the option there of going out with somebody else and like meeting other people. And yeah, it's just a a way of bringing that barrier down. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah, fantastic.
0: It's really, really cool to see all the different groups that are popping up Everywhere, there's all across the UK. You can go in there clubs that prioritize the experience and the social aspect rather than how fast we're going to go or how many miles we're going to cover. It's just about having fun and getting out there, and really cool that that's happening. And people are viewing it more as something that's experiential rather than about the
1: yeah, yeah, couldn't have said it better myself.
0: Thank you. Oh, it's been such an inspiration speaking to you. I'm absolutely buzzing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hope you have a fantastic time with the next Thighs of Steel trip. I wonder, would it be possible, could you play us out with, with the bugle? Is that possible?
1: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give it a go. <laughs> I haven't actually played it for a while. Oh, the um, pressure's on. Yeah, um, so... <clears throat>
0: whew,
1: okay. <laughs> There's there's always a little laughter beforehand. Okay, here we go.
0: Oh my god, I absolutely love it. Oh,
1: that was pretty good for not warming up. <laughs>